0: <clears throat> so, there's a paradox here that I think most of us meet often, which is that uh, we kind of, while we meditate, we seek a kind of uh, stability, some solid ground. It could be a sense of meaning or value, some sense of sacred place or trust or purpose or calm, well being, yeah. You know, that's that's kind of that's been offered as a possibility, the place where we feel good or okay or at peace, no longer jangled and thrown around. So there's that sense of a fundamental ground, it's the peacefulness or stability. Yet the practices we undertake um, all lead towards understanding how changeable everything is, everything breaks up and passes away and isn't stable. <clears throat> and in that kind of paradox between stability and instability, between integration and dissolution, a systems start freaking out. <laughs> going uh, haywire it's not just meditators of course everybody's doing it it more heightened and obvious in, in meditation you get this thing called yogi mind you, know, you call this in the Vipassana circus where you, you focus on particular little details of the the washing up rotor, or a particular elements of food, you're completely obsessed with this. Your life rotates around getting the right cushion, the perfect zafu. Yeah, or you have it, some intense feeling about the person in front of you, behind you, either, either fascination or or um, irritation. You know, suddenly your mind gets very obsessive and stuck upon things. And you realize you're here for liberation, but actually what you do is you'd, you'd murder someone for a marshmallow. <laughs> or the person who, who, who sniffles in front of you, you'd like to throttle in between practicing your periods of <laughs> what, you know These kind of obsessions. And certainly when you look in the holy life, it's full of this. From the time of the Buddha onwards people getting obsessed with robe robes and doodad's ivory needle cases <laughs> and that, this is the this is the origins of our obsession lineage and we're still keeping it up you get fascinated with you know digital display LED watches or latest kind of flashlight or latest... Wang Dang, bit of computer software that your kind of eyes glisten around. <laughs> and there are more, always more fundamental things, always food, food, food fetishes, food fads, or, of course, we can think it's all about particular objects, but more profoundly, it's about particular behaviours. And so, the Buddha recognised that You know, the really fundamental stuff is these behaviours. The stream entra, three particular forms of behaviour, obsessive behaviour, continually recreating themselves, self-view, I am this. I am the centre, everything I think and feel is real and solid and everything's got to fit that. This is problematic. My feelings, my thoughts, my moods, my my will, my intention, my ways of seeing things are are right and normal, and everything else has to fit around that. Or if it's not, it's a problem. Can't can't bend, can't let go, can't come out of that. This is a uh, almost a fundamental clamp for stability. I am, you know, clank. Therefore, one feels kind of solid, but it's like a. Uh, continually in conflict with everything else. And people can actually, you know, live with this without really even recognising it, still thinking the problem is everybody else is being so difficult. Uh, or the routines, or the monasteries, or I just don't like being in groups. You know, So, and some people get it bad, and some people get it slightly. I think most of us would probably, you know, uh, more honest moments recognize this tendency. It doesn't happen all the time, fortunately, but there's that tendency. First and foremost, these people and things and events, things would be okay if they went my way, which is normal, and right, proper. Then the uh, doubt, which is this uh, sense of. Uh, um, Skepsis or or hesitancy, wavering, havering, feeling of uncertainty, unsteadiness. Um, And uh, it kind of can remain as a sort of uh, withdrawal from experience, a real withdrawal from surrender, relinquishment, letting go, abandonment. So, well, maybe I should do more of this or less of that maybe Tibetan Buddhism is better, or Zen, or anything, you know, other than this, we kind of look at the form of the life and get caught in doubt and either cynicism or, or just reluctant acceptance, rather than really surrendering to it, letting go to it, just just dropping into it you know so I'm kind of like uh, um... it's rather like uh, you don't really swallow the medicine you kind of sniff at it I Think it doesn't smell very good don't like the colour of it uh, don't like the spoon it's on <laughs> it's not my kind of spoon uh, and therefore one doesn't really get the benefit the benefit only comes from really swallowing the whole thing down it's kind of flat taste or bitter taste, it's not supposed to be a. it's not supposed to be that something whose benefit is really in the colour, the flavour, the forms, the sounds but in the the swallowing it down, letting it get to work on us the doubt remains as that um, Something that, that stops us taking it all in, yeah. So we 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 find critical or negative or withdrawn from the forms and conventions of the life, because of course they're like this. They're not great. They're not nibbana. They're not. They're uncomfortable. With bitter medicine. Point really is just. Uh, Say, well, yeah, but isn't it all like that? Mm. And say, well, what, rather than uh, kind of dither around the edges, just take a big hit and swallow it, take it down. You know, sometimes you find yourself wanting want to throw it up again. You go through another boring session of this, that or the other, Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's that, yeah. Resistance. And uh, of course, the other one is uh, attachment to the attachment to forms and routines. This is it? This is so we get fixated on uh, either the, the the obvious routines, the daily routines, daily schedules, programs. Or we get obsessive about minor points of the training or discipline, so it becomes a continual source of, of fascination or obsession or con- or controversy. Mm. But in a larger sense, it also means that we our mind works in terms of systems. We create our own systems. What I what I do on a Mondays, Tuesdays. Fridays I don't I don't talk after six o'clock in the evening, whatever it is, you know and these kind of human beings do this they think they've given it a name when it becomes heightened they call it obsessive uh, obsessive compulsion disorder, obsessive compulsion disorder OCD which means, you know, before you can have your meal, you have to arrange the plate in a certain way and tap the table three times. Yeah. Or you, when you've got your food in the fridge, you have to stack the lettuce in this drawer. And the, this you know, you, everything has to be arranged in a particular way before you can use it. And uh, people suffer from this particular syndrome. You know, before you open the door, you have to knock on it nine times. There's this uh, ex-footballer who's. Admitted this particularly, he's managed to cut it down from nine times to three times. You can't actually go open the door without. If you do these little things, often it obviously means touching things or fiddling with things or arranging things or collecting things. You get collectors' disorders. We have to have all kinds of bits and pieces. And this is about really stability, finding stability, finding a sense of. I'm alright because I'm in touch with this, I'm in touch with that, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. And we look for certain structures, you know, to make us feel solid. And most of us have this to, to a, probably to a milder degree. And it comes when you feel a bit nervous or groundless or shaky, then we kind of tend to tighten up around that. Mm. You know, and then, if we uh, it's going to come in Sangha life and you become a, uh, you have a particular responsibility, so you, you know, the guest monk, then you've got the guests must report by 6 o'clock in the evening, otherwise, you have to stand out in the rain. <laughs> or the stores monk, you know, I don't, I don't give anybody more than one bar of soap a week. And they have to see me between nine and ten in the morning. That's the rules. Mm. Or you get to be the abbot, which is you do all of this kind of things. And you get obsessed with particular control systems, so that things will be steady and solid and simple and stable. Point is, these these things are not. Um, they're part of what we operate through, and it's a sense of the will. The will seeks some place to feel steady and certain, and so that's something that we do. And as pointed, it becomes actually really diseased. It's it's causing others disease. It's causing us disease because you you feel yourself go into this. You feel yourself tighten up, and you get hard, and you can't listen, and you cut yourself off from other people and something in your own body starts to close up and you lose your humour, your warmth your lightness, your flow your flexibility, your receptivity because this is exactly what a certain intensity of will does that in the way that it operates um, as you intensify will you diminish receptivity that's what it's about you know, that the 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 strong intensity of will is like an emergency system. It means if you've uh, damaged your ankle and you're up a mountain, you can walk despite the pain. Your willpower just overrides that because you've got to get out. Yeah. You know, it means if, if your child is in danger, you put yourself into risk. You just shut down your feelings and your fear and you just plunge into a dangerous situation even though you hurt yourself, because you override. And you can do that. People do that. It means you override physical feeling, uh, mental feeling, uh, receptivity, alternatives, other possibilities, shut it all out, do this. And that's 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 a handy but dangerous weapon, isn't it? It's what soldiers have. And if you keep Stuck in it, you get battle-crazed. You get battle-hardened. You don't come out of it. It builds up a kind of shell over your sensitivity. And if we, if that's the way we feel stable, then uh, the sense of stability is gained at a deep loss to our receptivity. This isn't just that... Um, That in itself is bad. It also means more fully. There's no way that you can really realize nibbana that way. You can't will yourself to it, because what's happening is uh, there's only a bit of you there. There's like you know a lot of your system is closed down. It's unlikely that you would develop samadhi that way. You develop a kind of numbed fixation state. You don't develop the happiness or ease. Of samadhi, and eventually what also means that that particular quality of, of intensity acts as a kind of um, an obstacle to the to the surrender, the relinquishment, which is the uh, what is the final movement to nibbana. Yeah, is because this is really the dissolution of the will. The Buddha in his enlightenment, one of his famous utterances was, my mind has gone to dissolution. You know, it's just gone out, it's completely dissolved. Which doesn't mean he's gone psychotic. (laughs) Because there's a deeper stability that's actually there. One of the characteristics in Ibbana is called tita dhamma. As the characteristic of being stable, yeah. but we don't realize that. Yeah. We don't get to that. We don't find that. We don't get to that place, except through a very careful, and steady, and compassionate dismantling. You don't smash your way to Nibbana either. Because what has to occur in the t- in the process of, of disillusion the process of letting go is that, that process of letting go is so cultivated that every time you're letting go you're letting go with a very full awareness and every bit of letting go makes your awareness fuller and richer yeah so obviously for a start you know just being mindful it means that in the sense of being mindful and watching, witnessing things change there is a growth And we can all recognise this is a growth in a certain quality of steady, stable awareness. Yeah, what you're witnessing is change, and that's that's your you know that's a fairly manageable bit for us all to to uh, to acknowledge. Yeah. That. mm -hmm. So what's happening is that kind of. process of holding on is substituted you, you, as you, as you feel yourself more stable you can let go a bit as your awareness becomes more, more steady and stable you can let go a bit and that's, that's the way the process goes and it just goes further and further and further <laughs> till we can overcome these behaviours the mind doesn't need these behaviours We don't need to keep creating ourselves all the time because it's okay, you know. So there comes increasingly um, longer periods of time or occasions when you actually don't have an opinion or a particular way or something you want. The question doesn't make sense. Well, this is what's happening, isn't it? So that's what we'll do, or you know, that can be become more uh, more more uh, more a sense that that de- develops more. You know. And you can be flexible and flowing, and you feel good with that. It's not just the kind of passive. Um, resignation, oh, I've got to knuckle down and give up everything and tug along with it. No, it's not that. That's not the relinquishment, that's just suppression of the will. The embarrassing thing, of course, is that in order to to uh, release some of these behaviours, you have to witness them. To witness the, the me, mine, I want, why can't I why isn't it my way? Why does everybody do this and I get that? Why, poor me, and I'm always having a hard time and I'm dumped upon and it's not fair and so and so and so, you know? You yeah, kind of, which I, I don't know, but my mind can do that. I, I think I've heard it a few other places too. <laughs> and it's true, in a way, well, because life actually isn't that fair. I, I am continually, in a community, I am continually humbled by how unfair it is. You know, some people have a really rough deal in terms of their health. I don't have much of a problem. People are struggling just to kind of get here, and then, you know, before some other horrible thing takes over migraines and pains and nausea and oh, goodness me, what a rotten deal not fair. I could just on that level I can very readily understand how anybody can think, why me? What a what a rotten why did I get like this, that, and the other. But of course that that doesn't do <laughs> any doesn't solve anything. <laughs> and in fact, in a way it's kind of it's obvious because things like physical stuff it doesn't care whether you like it or not. It just does it, and you can either practice with it or just feel worse. More difficult things, in some ways, are where you where are more like things that aren't so fixed, like uh, who does what, yeah. You know? uh, who gets who gets this and who gets that? Who gets some time off? Who gets more attention? Who gets uh, more respect? Or who gets a better this or a better that. Then you know, other things start to happen with that, mm-hmm. and it's all yeah. It's, you can, it make you know you can certainly build a case on that, and um, yeah, sympathise with that too. And it's, 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 uh, some of it's really silly. I remember getting, kind of, feeling a bit indignant when I was a junior monk that Andrew made always used to get a tray with a vase of flowers on it at breakfast time. Actually, I don't particularly want a vase of flowers on my tr- tray. He got a tray with a vase of flowers on it, and I just had a rotten old cup there to carry around in my yard. What's he done that's so good that you get I thought this is supposed to be bhikkhu Sangha, every (laughs) kind of stuff. And of course, this is a pretty minor thing that you you won't you know you may may experience it, but you can certainly it doesn't have much footing. There are other things that probably have much more uh, footing, much more ability to hold on, to be reasonable. Yeah, but. Yeah. Probably the most important, most useful thing is just to realise how how painful that is how tight it is how it's not bringing out the best in us I can be larger than this I don't have to be this contracted and tight and, and fed up because of these silly little things. I can be bigger than this. I don't need this stuff. I don't need to be anybody in this thing. What would it take to actually really genuinely feel that? And there are all kinds of bits and pieces of past karma and history and the way we sense ourselves, the way we sense other people's senses that we just got to actually meet. That the the fear or the resentment or sense of shame or belittledness bits of personal history things that we've been felt we've been seen as or told we are for years stupid or ugly or small or pathetic various ways to really come out of that but the the most thorough means that I know of other things can certainly help the most thorough thing I know of is, is really this um, refuge awareness, mindfulness concentration, samadhi ease and noble friendship Internal and external refuges. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's important to recognise, generally, that most people need both. You need that sense of the, the, the social context when you come out of meditation, is also not uh, reinforcing your, the the tendencies, the the raw spots. And of course, this is a you know, large topic because you don't always know what the raw spots are. But at least we try to have the spirit of that meeting, sharing, regarding each other with some sense of openness, sympathy you know, even for our difficulties and uh, tightness and hardness fearfulness, reactiveness It's really through both the external medicine and the internal medicine that this this will, this clenching of the will, can can relax. Sometimes you can't do it until somebody, other people, do it for you in a way. To to you know, people who don't see you as your disease, but see you as your health, as your beauty, as your strength is your clarity mm. particularly that's helpful because often this is this the real strengths and clarity we have not something we do something that's already there we don't even realize it mm. Is it like that in, you know, in meditation that there can be an overdoing of it because there's a certainly if, you know, for myself, my own practice, began with a very strong, what now seems to be an overdoing, you know, to, to actually try to come to too sharp, narrow a point for too long a time that so I couldn't, wasn't actually capable of to spend more or less three years in solitude from day one trying to focus on refined points of, you know, sensation in the body with no, with no companionship. Just wasn't really, that was a bit further than I could, so I didn't even get anywhere near, it's just the very, very full clenching of the will to actually not feel some of the, the pain and the estrangement and the hopelessness. So there was a kind of it, I got a kind of concentration of kinds, but it was primarily just through this, this push of the will to find something in a, in a place of dissolution that felt at least something to hang on to. You know? I'm in a foreign country, I don't speak the language, I've never been in a monastery before, so I'm in a Thai monastery, no, I can't understand what's going on, I'm in a, in a hut all day long, on my own, in solitude, with just this one meditation object to do. And uh, trying to sort of not go mad. So yeah, you could say that, you know, it breeds a certain willfulness. <laughs> And uh, took about five years, three years of doing that. It took at least five years to start to actually dismantle it, because my whole understanding of meditation is based upon that. Instinctively, it isn't something you are; it's something you do with unremitting effort till you achieve the goal. And the only solution to any problem is more more effort is needed, <laughs> longer time. You know, keep. Pushing the bar up. So, you know, I've actually experimented with just lowering the bar, lowering it, lowering it, lowering it, lowering it. Can you walk from this place to that place without, you know, completely forgetting where you are, or clenching up, or trying to think of something one should be doing? Because what happens with that, that particular process of will is that you get so used to only feeling stable when there is will isn't, even if isn't anything to do you find something to do to in order to be willful Because that's the only thing you've got as a, as, a, as, a, as a touchstone of hey this is the stable bit the stable bit when I'm really busy, engaged and making sure it works but there's nothing to do right now. Well, I'll, I'll go out and count the leaves, make sure they're in place. You know, <laughs> you know you, I notice this in myself. You know, when it's nothing much to do, then do something intense in order to feel. Because that, that becomes a. It's not, it's not a thought process, it's a reflex. It's a reflex, it's becomes so instinctive, you don't even know you're doing it. Till you find yourself wondering why everybody else is so laid back and hanging around and this feels funny, why aren't we doing something? Why aren't we working and making something happen, getting it done, sorting something out, fixing something? Well just relax. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't relax. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't relax by itself. It goes to a place of, oh, I'll, I'll hang on, I'll wait, I'll resign myself. Or it goes on to uh, bottle, bottling it up, or just thinking about things all the time. Something to be doing, restlessness. I don't think it's purely a personal problem. I had a man here, uh, you know, so many stories. I mean, one chap here was, uh, he had a very difficult life. Actually, you know, he'd been in jail, been in the army, been in jail, been in heroin, been through this very compulsive and goodness knows what else, you know called to that. He's a, an Angarika, And then, you know, doing a winter, trying to do a winter retreat. I, remember, I guess we didn't really... And so, okay, do something. Well, he can, he can kind of chop some wood. Something to do. Just chop some wood. You know, so he's chopped no, so all the wood that could be chopped and re-chopped it. <laughs> Stuck it together and chopped it up again. <laughs> <laughs> he ends up kind of going around the whole whole of the monastery, cleaning every little piece of bark he can find, is shoving in the hedges. You know, tidying up the whole of the monastery ground. Of course, he didn't chop all the trees down. It's always something to do, and then in the end, it's saying, "Oh, you know, I came here for some peace of quiet, and there's always so much to do." <laughs> but where did it come from? You know, because you know, you think, "Well, they, did they tell you? Are you sure?" Really? Or did you think they told you? Or did you think that's what they really wanted you to do? Or did you interpret it that way? And it's kind of really check some of these these things about who the they are and what the it is that drives us. The it must be done. The they want me to. Or they never. When you ever hear the word never or always, be very careful. This is not Dhamma whenever you hear the sense that they make me do something be very very careful There's nobody else makes you do anything apart from your own will Whenever whenever it is expected just find out who the it is this is a word from the god on high the cosmos, the buddhist tradition Ajahn Chah Wherever it's coming from, beware of that, that little voice. This is just the voice of your own will, frustrated, which we can't acknowledge because it's bound up with, with pain and frustration. That's why we need each other. Is to make sure it's not them and it, it's me and you and us. And that's a negotiable, flexible thing, that's a thing of companionship, sharing. And it's probably one of the most fundamental um, diseases of our social domain is the isolation, the, the independence, we call it. This is not Dhamma. There's no such thing as independence on in Dhamma, apart from the Arahant. There's dependence, mutual conditioning, cooperation, mutual arising. That's, that's Dhamma. So then, you know, you realize how much we tend to constellate around you know, that tendency, well my own, my door, my time, my screen, this is where I get the good bit. Yeah. yeah, there is good there is goodness in that. But be careful that the door doesn't have a to, a lock on it, it turns it into a jail. Just sort of be aware that the what happens you know, from when it was kind of deeply internalized to coming out into a shared domain, you know, which can be quite perilous. You know, these things are not just dismissed intellectually. You could actually work with some of the nervousness, the, the, the dismissiveness, We don't actually see. You know, because the, the will, the independent will, is there to stop us feeling things and knowing and sensing things and receiving things. And it isn't isn't even deliberately applied. It's something you don't even know you're doing because you just get grown into it. You know? You get when if you're born brought up in a in a context which is not safe, not sharing, not trusting, not supportive, not stable, not friendly. Most of us have that to a degree. Sometimes people are extremely difficult then your whole sense of your part of your will naturally constellates around shell. And it's saying, well, you know, when do you need that? When can you just let it go a little bit? A little bit. A little bit. The possibility is there. Let it go a little bit. You can bring it back up again and let it go a little bit. So you kind of play with these things: the defensiveness, the, the screening, the holding on. Because you, the only real way you can get through is, is the not. If you because if you think you, that you are it, rather than it's something that happens, then it gets difficult. Actually, the point of this. T- teaching is how much there's a sense of self that is born through a particular patterning of the will, the patterning of intention. The way that yeah, we because our intentionality, our willpower, constellates in certain ways to provide security. Hmm? Means I do what I want when I feel like it. I'm with who I want to be when I want to be, I'm not when I don't. These are are normal things. I get my place, I get my state for me. It's normal enough. This isn't really a problem, except that within that, one becomes born. One becomes an identity, there's an identity within that. Then, actually, is has to hold. Has to be held, and it can't. Notice what happens when a part of one's st- stuff, you know, one's support disappears. The friend goes. Somebody dies, people leave. Oh, you're kind of really, oh, really thrown around by that. Well, routines change. Suddenly you kind of can't keep it going. Or whatever, you know. We feel very destabilised. Energy drops, sickness comes. You feel destabilised. You're lost. Hmm? because the self has been, has been a self-consolated around a set of factors that were impermanent. Therefore, it's not, this is a matter then for one's deeper sense of safety, one's deeper sense of stability, to come out of the smallness, out of the limitations, get bigger than who we think we are, bigger than who we have accustomed to being, bigger than our habits, bigger than our needs and wants, bigger than our irritations. And that's a weaning process. We need, we need help from others, and we need help from the Buddha to keep the mind attentive, aware, good-humoured, as we hit these boundaries. What it takes to dissolve a kind of love and gentleness and patience hmm? it takes to dissolve. I can be with this. Also we also recognize that this stuff is also deeply embodied. As we can recognise, when we get, when we tighten up, we can feel that in a somatic sense. Not necess- it means that certain almost capillaries close, your gut tightens up, your nervous system edges, gets edgy. Your eye, your gaze hardens, uh, the pulse rate changes, your jaw starts to lock a bit, you know, something tightens. You can feel an arousal. This is just you know everyday stuff, isn't it? Flickering. We feel really relaxed, and we're a little bit tight, and we get really threatened, and then tightens up. So this is embodied, and one of the skills, of course, is just to go directly to the bodily sense of it. Just you know, and practice with that. Notice it happening. We we'll start. In a bodily sense, because of course the body doesn't have the same proliferations. That is, if we experience these things purely in terms of topics, the mind can spin on for years, write books about it, about how it should be and how it isn't, and so forth and so forth and so forth. Another daring expose of you know social context. Western civilization, Buddhism, whatever it is, yeah, you know, but. (laughs) It's good, do it. It comes to the emotional sense of that the frustration or the fear or the the anxiety or the rage that comes up when one's boundaries are threatened, when that that ability to do or come, you know, is, is, is frustrated, or if you're lost and alone and something kind of freezes in us. You know? If we go to the emotion, then what happens with that is the emotion will tend to suffuse. Emotionality is as edgeless. has no boundaries. It tends to become enormous. And what started out as a minor feeling of, you know, mm-hmm he didn't listen to me, she didn't listen to me, it becomes a global sense of uh, you know, this is a world of, of total rejection. This is what happens, isn't it? You know, or, or a, few, a few moments of misguided or unfortunate contact can become the dominant theme for the way we see each other. She is one of those, he is one of those. They never, they always. And you hear, feel his patterning go on and on and clash and everybody's right. But you know, it ain't gonna end there. So we come into the body and, you know, and just go to the energy of that holding. You know, I, oof, I don't want to be with, I don't want this but that doesn't do it either. How do I get to be light? Is that another intense project? How do I get to be light? So you're coming to the body, just blah, blah, sometimes just exercising even stretching, or breathing through, but mostly it's, it's, you try to bring all three together, you consider something, and something that arouses the heart in a particular way, and you bring that into your body. This is the value of recollection, why we take refuge, Buddha, it can become so stylized that it becomes meaningless, unfortunately. So in some ways you've got to create your own Buddha, your own refuge place, the the recollections that remind you of being cared for, of being received, of being accepted as you are. Mm. Gratitude. Mm. Things that bring up gratitude I find very helpful. Because it does refer to what's around me. I suppose every day we can just come in, the animal then I mean, so this is the little bit of something you do before you eat. We're just spending time to really consider, you know, other human beings make an effort, give of themselves in order to provide us with with food. The body needs that. And that sense of there's a kind of, you know, we like some ways almost like carried. We do a lot of carrying, obviously, and yet also we are carried. This weather, and just noticing, yesterday in the rain, just doing some things around my cootie, tidying up stuff, and just how nice it is to get inside, you not know, dry, not being not cold, not being rained upon, no shivering, hands not freezing. You know, essentially feeling that. you know, if this little shell hadn't been built, we'd <laughs> be stuck out there like the bunny rabbits or the deers, with no furry ears, no warm paws really stuck. So I just kind of reflect on, of course there's things that one can feel unjust and not fair and not provided for. And yet to dwell upon what is certainly puts me in a better state of mind, a better bodily state, a better state of heart. So just to deliberately recollect until that sense of appreciation arrives, it's not something you can't say be grateful. It's one of the, one of the most unfortunate <laughs> things to say <laughs> because it comes as a command and that's the last thing that's ever going to bring it around. It comes another sense of shame on you because you're not grateful. You don't open up like that. You have to kind of deliberately look at life, think about it, give it some consideration, think of it broadly. You know, there's people here who be sick. There's people here who at least would like to help us, take care of us, look after us. You know. So these things—gratefulness, contentment, recollections of this nature—just to help to make the field that we feel ourselves in to give it its due, in that there is benevolence. Uh, and this isn't to make a, a statement about an ultimate statement about the field that we're in. It's a mottled thing, I'm sure. And yet, you pick up what's going to do you best, and take it in, take a big hit, take a big hit of the medicine. Until so you can feel your baby, some of the defenses, some of the panic, some of the tightness, some of the bitterness, or whatever. Just loosen a bit. Feel yourself, what happens in your body. Try to get in touch with that. Breathing in. Breathing out, being in that, and sharing it with others, considering the welfare of others. This is how we can lead. It's an act of inclination. It's an inclination that helps to dissolve these unconscious reflex inclinations. and of course why we have retreats and why we sustain commitments over years is an acknowledgement of just what it takes to, to bring that around. It doesn't happen in a day. It doesn't happen as a, as a passing thought. It's a process, a deep process remember that because it's it's never you know you don't get to. the last thing you'll do is give up on yourself where you just settle for a set of habits and defences and attitudes and that's it and that's as far as it's going you you feel something you just give up that's not surrender that's resignation which means you're just frozen into a particular pattern I would say that's that's the that's the kind of death sentence for, for awakening. So when it gets like that, times when it gets like that, that's that's not something not happening. That's something happening. That's not not getting something. That is getting something. that's getting ignorance. Ignorance, which means lose presence, don't be here, lose confidence in yourself, lose, you know, and it's that, this is the most um, destructive of the lot, is to, is to lose yourself, give up on yourself. So if it just means we just say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to another position, and we just walk, stand, sit, sink, you know, simple things that you can do this. Hmm. Don't be one who continually raises the bar. See if you can be someone who lowers the bar (laughs) if you're you're stuck on that particular attitude to make it simpler and easier. That's really good practice for some of us anyway. You know, they kind of want to get better and better, just keep dropping the standard a bit. Mm. So you can just kinda of get over it easy. You can you can come you can come some do something without even really feeling that you're making a big push. And then gradually your strength and your confidence builds up and it will carry you.